Welcome to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast, the podcast for serious soccer players and their supporters to help further their development and navigate their way throughout their soccer careers. And now, here's your host, Matt Langoni. Thanks for joining us. We're super excited to bring you this new podcast, where in each episode, we'll discuss soccer at all different levels with some of the most interesting, accomplished, and influential personalities in the region. The podcast will always strive to be inspiring, insightful, and informative. We've got a great guest for you today, as I'll be joined in studio by Nick Burke, who works as the Girls Director of Coaching for the Massachusetts-based club NEFC. Nick is originally from Waterford, Ireland, and has been coaching in the United States since 2006. He's been with NEFC since 2008 and also coaches the 2005 and 2006 Girls Academy teams. Along with his extensive experience coaching at the club and college levels and at numerous camps, Nick is a former professional player for over 10 years, playing with Leeds United FC in England, Nottingham Forest FC in England, Swindon Town FC in England, and Barrytown FC in Wales. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again for listening to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Here's Nick Burke, who is joining us in studio. Hey, Nick, thanks so much for uh, joining the podcast with us in studio today. Uh, no problem. Nice to be here. I kind of want I mean, there's a lot of things we're going to talk about today, but I think the, the best way to jump into this uh, today would kind of be kind of your, your upbringing, um, you know, being from Ireland, you're, you're growing up, getting involved in the sport. Um, kind of take us through kind of the early part of, uh, of your life and how you kind of... Uh, uh, kind of fell in love with soccer yeah um so was born in ireland um and then when we, when i was about maybe 10 we moved to the uk um and started playing soccer played multiple sports growing up played uh, rugby soccer cricket lots of different sports but i always loved soccer the most and then uh just as i played probably started playing organized soccer maybe when i was probably 11 12 a little later than you would typically hear um and I got picked up at 14, 15, went on a couple of trials. And then when I was 15, uh, I signed for Leeds United. And then uh, that kind of started my kind of professional, um, you know, pathway in soccer. But prior to that, just, you know, i growing up with three, four brothers, um, you know, playing soccer week in, week out, playing at school, playing after school. All we would ever do is play soccer. So to have the opportunity to end up going and playing at Leeds and then obviously progressing through different clubs over the years it was uh you know something that I really wanted to do from a young age but something that you know lots of people want to do and I didn't think I'd get the opportunity but lucky enough I did and uh you know then long story it took me to the U.S. a long long time after that take us through kind of the the soccer landscape in, in Ireland is it I mean we know the global impact of the sport in, in all other countries. You know, it's number one in so many so many other yeah. countries, and it's on the rise here as well. But what's it like in Ireland? Is it just kind of like almost a foregone conclusion that you're going to play soccer at some point? What's kind of the mentality towards the sport in that country? Well, in Ireland, um, is a little different to the UK um, because there's so many other sports. You yeah. have uh, you know the Gaelic sports like hurling, sure. Gaelic football, rugby's quite big there. Um, and football, they call it soccer in Ireland, is, is is obviously one of the biggest sports. But then when I went to the UK, it was pretty much either you played rugby or you know soccer. Soccer's a lot bigger there. Um, but you know it's like everything. It's kind of it's a culture. It's part of just like South America or just like you know parts of Europe in Ireland, the UK. Soccer's the be you know football's the be all and end all. 
um, and every kid is playing in some capacity or wants to play soccer at a high level. So, you know, it's it's a culture thing. And as you can see, um, I think the U.S. is getting more and more like that, where kids are growing up with it. But obviously, I think everyone in Europe and Ireland and the U.K. grew up with soccer, and it's, you know, part and part of, you know, the culture and, you know, what you do on a daily basis. Right. And you started uh, that pro career at a young age. You said 15. Is that how old? Yeah, typically. Um, so, you know, how it works back home is you go and do like trials as a schoolboy. I kind of started out later. And then about 15, that's when you sign your youth team. Obviously, it's changed a lot since I played, but it used to be a YTS. So you'd go and be a YTS for two years at 15, 16, 17. And then when you turned 18, you'd get offered a pro contract or you wouldn't. Um, so you typically start your professional career at 15. I had to leave home at 15 and um, move from, I was currently living in Wales at the time, and moved from Wales to Leeds, which is a big you know, transition, big step, um, but obviously super excited to do it at the time. You do get a lot of homesick, but you know it's a sacrifice that a lot of those players have to make. Um, and as you see over time, there's a lot of lads from different parts of different countries going to England to play, and it's, uh, you know, something that's difficult, but obviously if it works out, it's worthwhile. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, the maturity level you have to have at that age, at 15, I mean, just the in- intimidation factor. I think to when I was 15, I mean, I, I had enough trouble getting myself yeah. down the stairs, getting in the shower and getting to school. So for you to be playing, I mean, for anybody at any level to be to be playing a sport at that level of seriousness at that young age, I mean, that's got to take some incredible sort of maturity yeah yeah maturity and, and me wouldn't normally go in the same <laughs> sentence but uh i would agree that it takes uh i say resilience um you know willpower and obviously determination to, to do it it can become quite lonely um you know but you're lucky enough where a lot of the lads are all in the same boat so when i was at you know at leeds when i was at forest swindon you had lads from england ireland scotland uh, you know, Wales, different parts of Europe, different parts of England. So, you know, a lot of lads were in the same boat, but especially for the foreign lads coming in who weren't English, that was very difficult because, you know, you're away from home, away from your family at a young age. But obviously, you know, the upside was you're doing something you like to do and with a view to try and be a professional soccer player. So, right. You had a bunch of, you mentioned a bunch of stops on that pro career. What, what sticks out to you? Any, any, lasting memories that really come to the forefront when you think about the the pro playing career any any just you know themes of what it was like or any any individual moments that stick out to you well i think you know when i was 15 signing for leeds was was a big deal Uh, they were at the premier league in the time and obviously they're back in the premier league now that was something that you know was a dream so to be able to do that was uh was an unbelievable experience obviously there's a lot of good players at the club at that time but for me i think the best experience of all the way was probably where I enjoyed it the most, which is probably Swindon, where I, you know, signed my professional contract, you know, played a bit more, um, felt, you know, like you said, I'd been through, I'd been through Leeds, I'd been through, you know, Forest, and when I got to Swindon, I kind of understood how the game worked a bit more, understood being away from home, and it was a bit more mature. I was, you know, 17, 18 at that time then, so I kind of understood things a bit better, and it was a little closer to family as well, so I enjoyed that probably the most. How would you kind of assess um, what you were as a player? What, what were kind of like the, the attributes that come to mind when you think about you as a player? Um, I was a number nine, like yeah. uh, what you typically old school, post up nine, go with my back to goal. Uh, not an out and out goal scorer, I could score goals, but I was more of a link up player. 
Um, I think, you know, just like my, I expect that my kids, my work rate was, was pretty high. Um, so I would say my attributes were, you know, hold up, post up nine, mm-hmm. bringing others into the game, could score goals. But, um, yeah, I think those kind of players are transitioning out of the game. It's it's not like it used to be where that was kind of the typical number nine. You played in a four four two. You were the ho- you know one guy up top, one guy off. I was normally the guy holding the ball. I needed some quick off you. Um, as the games transitioned and you know the games evolved, those type of players aren't really um, you know as utilized as much or around as much as they used to be. Obviously, that that's an impressive past you've had as a player, and now you get to add being the uh, the debut guest on our podcast here. So I guess that that's going to yeah, rank right up there with odd. all the accomplishments. Hundred percent, right? yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right up there. Um, I want to transition kind of to. Uh, how you ended up um, coming to the United States? What what brought you here originally? Um, you, you've been here for a while now, but what 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 brought you here and and um, and made you want to get involved with with soccer in the United States? Well, luckily enough, I um, I really had no aspirations to come to, to America. Um, but one of my my former colleagues who played Swindon with me came. Uh, I think he must have came in two thousand and did like a, a work summer program. It was called Play Soccer at the time similar to the challengers and uh, you know those kind of um, companies did summer camps did a fall did a spring so we were talking one day and I uh, was playing semi-pro at the time I got injured I was out for about a year so I had the opportunity he suggested maybe that I you know look to come to America and it happened super quick I think that was on the Friday and then by the Monday Tuesday I interviewed uh, and then I think the following week I came to America so it was a bit of luck, and uh, you know, like anything, and everything happens for a reason. Right. I had no real aspirations to not coach because I was still young at the time. I think it was twenty five, going on twenty six. So I still wanted to keep playing, but I came here. I loved it. Uh, got into coaching. Obviously, you know, working with kids and being involved in football was uh, something I really enjoyed. And then you know, met my wife, kids, and that's it. The rest is history. Stuck I- here forever. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you ever, did you get homesick at all? I mean, do you still ever get homesick? Do you ever m- miss Ireland? Do you miss, do you want to go back long, you know, yeah. later on? Down well, I have family everywhere. So family in Ireland, family in Wales, family in England. So, um, you know, the only place I don't have family by my immediate families is the, U- the US. Uh, I have no family here, but I suppose being homesick, I do, I do get a little homesick. But like I said, I've been doing it since I was 15. So you kind of just uh, get used to it and kind of put it to the put it to the side um i try and get home as much as i can obviously with i have uh, you know wife and three kids so it's not easy to go back as much as you'd like but uh you know when you're doing something here and you've got your own family and kind of your own different pathway um you know i do view this as my home now but right. obviously you know going back home is always my home and um you know it's it's fun to go back for a couple of weeks but after two or three weeks you think i'd rather go back to america and <laughs> go back and do what i'm doing yeah uh, now you've you've been with NEFC since 2008. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, yeah. NEFC has evolved a lot over the years. So yeah. I came over in 2006, and I did a year with play soccer, which was uh, like the camps, clinics, yeah. um, the town stuff. And then, funny enough, I actually met Chris Hamblin, who's a current coach at Harvard, indirectly through a friend. I got involved in New England Eagles. That was about 2007, and that ended up partnering with FC Puma and that became NEFC in 2008-2009 so you know from the club soccer scene I've always been with Eagles which is NEFC 
and now obviously NEFC since 2008, 2009. So I think it's gone on 13, 14 years now. Wow. And, and right now your role is, uh, you're the girls director of coaching. And, yep. you, and you also, you, you coach the 05 and 06 academy teams, right? Correct, yeah. So when I came in, I, uh, you know, started doing junior academy, uh, and I actually really enjoy that little four, five, six, seven, eight, nine-year-olds, really introductory, um, you know, fun. And I did that for a couple of years. And then, obviously, as you evolve as a coach and the club evolves, my roles changed to, like, central director and then, obviously, to the girls director, which I've been for the last seven or eight years, um, which I enjoy. And then, obviously... The level of teams I've coached over the years have been from little kids to second, third teams to some of the elite teams in the club, some of the best teams, you know, in the northeast in the country. So, you know, my uh, my me evolving in NEFC has been from basically the bottom with the little kids through <laughs> to the top. So I've kind of seen it, done it, um, and I really enjoy all different aspects. But right now, I'm quite happy where I am. Yeah, I mean, th- this is not on that level, but I know when I coach, my youngest son is is six, and it's yeah. and when I, when I coach his team, it's it's a lot of just controlled chaos. I mean, you're just, you're just hoping they don't <laughs> they don't run into each other. What age group have you really taken a liking to? Co- I mean, you've you've coached all these different age groups. Where, where, where did you really kind of find your niche? Do you think which age group? Um, well, I should probably say the ones I'm in now, but I, I don't <laughs> know if that's true. Um, I think like anything, you evolve as a coach. Where do I enjoy? coaching the most probably yeah. the younger kids I, I think you can influence them and you have you know more of a rapport with probably the kids 12 13 14 um my skill set probably i would say the best age groups are 14s and 15s having said that with my experience and with evolving and growing in the club right now i'm in the college recruitable ages which is important so i do the 17s and 16s and the staff i have around me um you know the GA staff are uh, you know second to none those guys all have their you know niche and wheelhouse so that's kind of where would I ideally want to coach versus where what makes sense for the club probably a year or two off but uh, I do enjoy you know, working with younger players anyone familiar with the the club soccer landscape in New England has heard NEFC is a household name at this point it's definitely you know uh, I think it's it, it's definitely a known commodity how did it get to this point how has it developed over the years, how has the club really become, you know, grown and um, attracted more talent? How, how, have, how have you guys kind of progressed over the years? I would say uh, it's a bit of a cliche, but just people, yeah. just the same people. Um, you know, I've been here 13, 14 years in the club soccer landscape. That's quite rare to have someone, but it's not just me. I think we've had a core of four or five people that have been here pretty much from the start and, and stayed um, with the same ideas, the same kind of vision. And that's helped. And then obviously just, you know, getting good coaches in and then, you know, doing a good job on the field. I think like anything, club soccer is a fickle world. Uh, it really <laughs> to say is. the least. Yeah. yeah, it is, yeah. But I think if you do a good job on the field and you're developing kids and the kids are having a good experience and having fun, I think, you know, a good club will stay around and keep attracting players. Um, and then like anything, I think for us, we have a pathway from, you know, the, the junior academy, which is under five, all the way through to U23s. And, you know, I think it's a one-stop shop where kids can come in, depending on what level they want. If it's, this, you know, the top, the elite, you know, Division One college, whatever that might be, national team, I think we can provide opportunities for those kids. But if it's just a third team to play on and have fun, I think we also provide that. So it's just, I think NEFC do a good job of, uh, you know, finding the right fit for the right player and providing the right environment. You mentioned uh, club soccer is kind of a fickle world. Is it ever... 
combative is not the right word, but is, is it ever, is, are there rivalries within clubs? I mean, how, how do you guys kind of, because uh, you're all, I mean, you're, you're all running clubs and you're all looking to attract players. Is, is it ever combative with other clubs? Do you guys ever, is it ever become like a power struggle between clubs? I wouldn't say combative. I would say competitive for yeah. sure, um, which is a good thing. I think, uh, you know, it makes NEFC better to have local rivals. And we're lucky in Massachusetts and New England where there's a lot of good clubs um, and there's a lot of good programs, so it, it keeps you on your toes. We know we have to be better and do a good job to keep the kids or bring kids in and to make sure the kids are happy and, and getting a good experience. So it's definitely a competitive environment. Um, but, you know, like I said, I've been here since 2006. I think the Northeast in general is quite a competitive place. When you start going around the country and seeing the Northeast, I think uh, it's just a competitive place in general when it comes to sports. I think you always want to be better than you compare to next door. Um, but I think it's healthy competition. Right. Do you feel that New England has kind of uh, solidified itself as a region of the country that's that's producing top-tier talent? I mean, do you think... Um you know, we have the great we have great prep schools here with great programs. We have a lot of uh, cl- club organizations. Where do you feel like New England has has put itself on kind of the United States soccer map? A little biased, but I would say, and I would say, we're probably top five in, yeah. in the country. I think you know you've got California, you've got Texas, uh, certain pockets, but New England, I would say, is top. You know, top five for sure. If you look at you know um, what they're producing as far as youth national team players, as far as kids going to college, how competitive they are within certain leagues, um, you know how clubs are doing on the national level. I think New England have done a very good job, you know, consistently over the last ten, fifteen years, and not just NEFC, other clubs as well um, on the national level. So I would say you know definitely up there. There's a lot of different pockets of the country. Obviously, California is typically where a lot of good players are. Um, but considering in New England we only have certain pockets of this, you know, the year, it's not like you can go, you know, twelve months a year all year round outside. We're can, you know, conditioned to fall, spring, and then the winter can be challenging. Considering you're kind of missing out on some of those training times, I think we're very, very good, um, and yeah, probably one of the top, like I said, five regions of the country. Uh, to that point, you guys, you guys have a brand new indoor facility. Is that correct? Yeah, we do. Yeah, so. Um, we just opened January 2nd. Um, I think it was two or three years in the making. A lot of work gone into it from the club. Um, so it's a, a brand new facility in uh, Northborough, Massachusetts. Quite a central location. Our other facility is in Mender, Mass. So not too far from there. And uh, it's got... Uh, it's, it's a beautiful facility. It's got a uh, full 9v9 inside, full 9v9 outside, and then some other things like uh, SAQ, video rooms, you know, boardroom, concessions. So it's kind of like, you know, and like I said, I've been here for, God, 13, 14 years. It's the first time you feel like you really have a home. Even though we have Menden, which is outside, you're kind of in and out. Right. Whereas now the new facility in Northborough, you can go in, you can do, you know, video sessions, you can have your team in for meetings, you can have boardroom, you can have staff meetings there. So even though it's relatively new, we've kind of utilized as much as we can. I mean, how much is a, of a game changer is having that indoor facility at, at your disposal? I mean, how much does that add to the club experience for, for your players and just to put, you know, exposure for the club? I think it's huge. Obviously, uh, there's not that many indoor facilities in Massachusetts in general. Uh, you kind of, you know, there's three or four of the same ones that everyone uses to have your own to be able to use that, but also, you know, and having the flexibility of going in and out and having your staff there, I think it's huge. And I think the new players coming in or the younger players in the club will see the benefit of that. And, you know, we have access to it whenever we want, which is helpful, obviously, 
we primarily use it for the central and the elite teams because it's just geography. But yeah, we have regions all over the you know states, and kids can come in and use that as well. So I think it's a, it is a bit of a game changer having the facility. Um, and not being so reliant on other places. New England's soccer journals, The Goal, will return after this. Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. Looking to keep up with all the latest news and information on New England soccer? New England Soccer Journal and NESoccerJournal.com are the premier resources for information and inspiration on the New England soccer scene. Have every issue of New England Soccer Journal, the magazine, delivered to your home or office. And don't forget to stay in the game every day with a digital subscription to NESoccerJournal.com to receive soccer coverage on clubs, college commits, prep and high school, division one, two, and three colleges, showcases, rankings, and so much more. Get in the game and behind the scenes now by going to anysoccerjournal.com. Just click on the subscribe button and start the subscription that is right for you today. New England Soccer Journal is a Siemens Media publication. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful. What other ways has uh, has NEFC tried to kind of separate itself from the pack? Any other any other things you guys try to offer? Any other things you guys try to do that maybe other clubs aren't doing? I mean, what's kind of the mindset every day where you're when you know you get up and you're thinking of ways to to kind of help the the club progress even more in the future? Well, I think it all comes back down to player development and to the player. So, what can you provide for the player? I think obviously it's the first thing I would say is the coach. It's, you know you need the best coach possible we're always trying to get the best staff in uh, making sure those guys are licensed and you know uh, we have very good coach education internally and then we you know externally try and get the coaches to go and do their typically US soccer pathway um, and then it would come down to obviously having good facilities we want to make sure the kids have opportunity to play on good fields the indoor facility like we said is is a big thing and then outside of that, it's going to be, you know, small things, but you know, college recruitment, I think, is a big thing, especially for certain levels. Um, we started now really getting into the SAQ, Speed Agility Quickness, offering programs there, um, and then offering other additional programming for kids to just keep improving. Um, it's like anything, we can just be there to provide resources. We need to do as much as we can to give the kids the opportunity to take it. And then, you know, like anything, it's on them after that. Have you noticed uh, a significant uptick in just skill level, you know, um, play with the ball, when players with the ball at their feet? Have you noticed an uptick in the last, I mean, are players more talented right now than you feel like they were when you first uh, got started here? I would say 100%, yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, the U.S. has changed a lot. When I first came, um, you couldn't really see soccer on TV. Now there's more soccer on TV than there is in Europe, you know, accessible for kids. I think generationally... 
you know, when you first came here, the kids you were coaching didn't really know soccer. Their parents didn't know it. Now you're coaching kids who their parents played soccer, the grandparents played soccer. So it's more inbred in the kids and the cultures there a little bit more. So I think they have more access to soccer. They're doing a lot more. They can see it more. Um, which in turn, I think at a younger age now, they're, they're probably more technical and better than they would have been. And like you said, it's a very competitive environment in Massachusetts and just in general right. in the country. You, you're starting to see a lot of clubs and a lot of opportunities at a much younger age. So if you get a kid probably now at 12, 13, they've been playing club soccer for four or five years, whereas before you might get them at 12 and they'd be just been playing town. Where do you kind of, you know, there's there's kind of two schools of thought in sports. I mean, there's there's like the Tiger Woods school of thought where it's like you play a sport, your whole, that's that's your sport. He was a golfer from day one. He played nothing but golf, became arguably the greatest golfer of all time. I mean, you see specialized athletes all the time, and whether it's AAU basketball, players playing basketball year-round, players playing soccer year-round. How do you kind of... Uh, what do you think of that balance of, of do, you, do you worry about burnout with some players who are playing maybe year-round soccer? I mean, do you think that uh, playing multiple sports as, as a kid is, is is healthy? I mean, how do you kind of, because uh, any parent knows that too, like where do you kind of draw the yeah. line about how much a kid plays? It's a good question. Um, I'm, I'm completely uh, pro multiple sports. Yeah. I, I did it, you know, uh, growing up, I played multiple sports, you know, four or five different things. And then probably didn't decide on soccer until maybe 13, 14. I think that's changed a little bit because it has become a lot more specialized. But we definitely encourage kids uh, in NEFC and my own kids to do multiple things. I think, uh, you know, all sports are kind of interlinked in some way. It's not a bad thing. And then with the burnout, if you don't really, you know, we want our kids coming back in the winter or coming back in the spring or after the summer and want to come, not come back and go, I only had two weeks off and it's soccer again. You right. want them to have that kind of... So holding them back a bit and, and taking a little bit away isn't a bad thing because they want to keep coming. Whereas if it's just soccer all the time, I think, like you yeah. said, you can get burnout. Did, did you ever have those moments when you were playing, even you know, when you were even in pro soccer, did you ever have those moments where you felt like, oh man, I could I could use a little more time off right now? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's funny, in... in uh, when I was a kid, no, because I was doing so many things. I think when you're a kid, when you're playing sports, you get to choose, right? It's your choice. You go down the field with your friends or your, your brothers and you're playing or at the schoolyard, and then you choose to do it. Whereas when it's more structured, it's not always on you. You're not, you're not choosing to do it. It's We have training Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. When you get in the pro game, you're doing it basically 10 months of the year, Monday through to Sunday, a few days off. You do kind of, and it becomes more job-like in, in the pro game. So I think with the youth game, you don't want it to become too job-like. You know kids have high aspirations. Some kids want to be on a national team. Some kids want to play high-level college or whatever that might be. So you want to make sure you're pushing them, but also it is still a sport. It's fun, and they have to have that love of it. And I think if you push it too hard, too early, then, you know, like anything, it becomes too monotonous, and you get used to doing it, and it's maybe not as fun. Right. Are the conversations with players different? I mean, every player in this country, you, you, th you think about Division One college, whatever it is, basketball, soccer, that's kind of like the goal when you get to college, you want to play at that Division One level. But we know that there's such a strong Division Three presence in New England, especially, you know, NESCAC schools and things like that. Is it hard conversations to level with kids where maybe they, they're thinking Division One and maybe it may not pan out and you're trying to help them carve out a different avenue and realize that Division One is, you know, doesn't always have to be the landing spot for a really good player? Yeah, definitely. Um, we don't at NEFC, especially, and and you know, me, my staff. It's about finding the right fit. Yeah. So it's about finding the right you know, 
mostly academic and then soccer, social and financial fit. And if that's Division One, great. And a lot of kids want to play Division One because typically it might be a higher level. But you have some great kids going playing Division Three that could have gone and played Division One and they choose to go to Division Three because maybe a better academic fit. And if you look at the New England market, there's a lot of good schools and there's some very good Division Three schools that, you know, on a national level might even be as good as Division One. Why not go play there, get a better education? and have a great experience so for us it's about finding that balance finding the right fit everyone wants to play division one but i think as you know you go through the process and you start figuring things out it might not be the best fit and we try just encourage players to go down the best fit for them um, and there's multiple things that go in but like anything they all want to go division one if we you know under 12 who wants to play division one all the hands go up i mean every <laughs> hand will go up you know it's just about finding the right the right fit and typically most of the kids at the level we're at in the in the ga will go to division one if that's the right fit for them um but you know like you said it's about finding that balance and it's a different pathway for everyone right um we all all of us soccer lovers in this country like to think that the sports on the come up you know we like to think it's it's I mean, all the time we're like, "Oh, give it, a, give it a year; it'll catch baseball. Give it, you know, it'll, it'll pass hockey." That we've we've been saying that for so many years, and it is growing. Um, like you said, it's on TV everywhere right now. But in your eyes, how much, um, how much has it risen in, in this country? The the popularity and the in the interest, and um, do you feel like it's just like a constant rising scale here that it's just going to keep continue to grow? Yeah. So I've been here since two thousand six, and I would say it's it's grown dramatically each year i think the last five years with you know the the uh the premier league being so accessible yeah. and then obviously you know the u.s in general on the women's side and, and men's side being you know very very competitive and just in general i think soccer's on the uprise um also you look at other sports maybe you're in decline anyway because of different things so i think soccer if you look at it for what it is it's at the entry level it's pretty cheap uh you know you can kind of go and play it at any level and enjoy it. Um, and with the U.S. being such a melting pot in general, I think it's the perfect place for soccer to continue to grow, and it has grown, and I just continue to see it growing and growing and growing. You as a fan, do you, do you watch um, much MLS? I mean, what's kind of your uh, – how much of, do you pay attention to that? Or, yeah, I mean, I'm a little I'm, ignorant on the MLS. <laughs> I, I, I would have watched more MLS if – the Premier League isn't so accessible, right, right. but I think growing up back home and, and playing, my team's Man United, so uh, yeah, I watch <laughs> the Premier League. I do watch the MLS from time to time, and I'll take my kids there, uh, and NFC will go staff days and things, but like anything, if you're looking at soccer and you want to watch it, you probably want to try and watch the best level right. you can, and even though the MLS is good, I think the Premier League is the, the best league in the world. Um, and typically, you know, it's so competitive and every game's a good game. So I watch that typically. I, I almost think it's a double-edged sword because you're right. You're, we can see so much Premier League now. It's so readily accessible. And it's on at great times. So you wake up on a Saturday morning or yeah. a Sunday morning and it's on TV. It's perfect. Like tomorrow when it's snowing. It's just, you know, it's just a perfect day when the weather's bad to, to watch soccer. But, like, I feel like because it's so present and so available, it almost it, – it, it, exposes the MLS for not being as good. I mean, you know, when you watch an MLS game and you watch a Premier League game, you can just see the level of play just isn't isn't close. So I almost feel like because the Premier League is so available, it almost like hurts that yeah, MLS product. Yeah, you're probably right there. <laughs> it's just, and the truth is, I don't think any league in Europe is as good as uh, the Premier League, but MLS has come a long way. It's, yeah. uh, I think, uh, significantly better than it's ever been and bringing a lot of better players in as well. 
Um, in terms of the the club, uh, individuals, uh, have you had any any big individual accomplishments for players within the club lately? I know you had, um, I think you had emailed me a, a player who uh, yeah. got a call up to the so uh, youth we have a player uh, who plays for me on the uh, 2005 Girls Academy team, uh, Nicolette Corps. Yeah. Um, so Nico, uh, great talent, been with the club probably since she was maybe eight or nine, and I. I don't know if it's a good or bad thing. She's unfortunately had me for most of those years coaching her. But um, Nico uh, has been pulled into the last probably three or four youth national team camps. Wow. Uh, she just got pulled into the camp in February. Um, and she's looking to go to CONCACAF in April uh, to hopefully qualify then for the World Cup, which is in India in the summer. So, you know, Nico's a great talent. We've got a lot of great players. Um, you know, not all of them are going to make youth national teams. But for us to be able to provide the opportunity and then for her to take is is huge. And, uh, you know, she's a great, great kid. Right. I mean, I was going to say, how inspiring is that for other players within the program to see a player like that develop into into that and and reach those accomplishments? That's going to be great for just other players within the program to see. Well, I think like anything, as a player, you just want opportunity and exposure, right? The the opportunity to, and I think Nico shows you that, you know, playing at NFC or playing in the league she's playing in and getting those, uh, the exposure, if you're good enough, you're going to do it. Ultimately, you know, if you're not good enough, you're not going to make it. But I think it's that opportunity to showcase yourself, get the scouts watching you, and then when you do that, obviously someone like Aniko has just continually got in and pulled back into camp after camp. But I think for other players, that shows you that, you know, they see what Nico's like, they see how good she is, can I aspire to be there? And also I'll be able to get the opportunity, and then it's up for the kids to take it. How difficult do you think, as a player, that the travel portion of club soccer is? I mean, going to showcases. I mean, do you, th- do you get the sense that the kids just enjoy it? You know, packing the bags, getting on a flight, going somewhere for a showcase, something like that. I would say the kids enjoy it. I wouldn't say the parents enjoy <laughs> it's paying a for it it's a lot. all the time. Um, to be truthful, but I think it's like anything. Um, you know, and my daughter used to dance, and my wife used to say to me, and, and that's expensive enough. And <laughs> she would say, well, she's going to be doing something else. I think as long as the kids are enjoying it and something they're passionate about, as a parent, you're going to, you know, be okay with it. I do think, you know, it's NEFC's job and all the club's jobs and the leagues to kind of keep costs down and make it affordable for everyone. Uh, we're, an, uh, you know, uh, a non-for-profit NEFC, so we do have players that maybe it's a bit difficult and challenging for them. We try and help them out. But, yeah, club soccer can be expensive, and I think it's down to all of us to make it a little bit more affordable and, you know, uh, give the kids the opportunities without having to, you know, go too far. But the truth is, with the college piece of it, I think the college showcases are big, and typically they're centered around better weather, which typically is California, Florida, um, and most of the leagues are kind of doing those trips. But, yes, I think, uh, you know, it, it can be challenging, and I think we've got to try and keep it, you know, where it's not too uh, too much for anyone. Right. I mean, that's that's probably another component where things have changed over the years, right? With club soccer, I mean, that's become the showcases and the traveling has really become... Uh, yeah, 100%. 100%. Over the last five, ten years, I'd say, right? Yeah. For, for me, when I first started, everything was regionalized in, in Massachusetts, really. And then as time went, it would, you know, regionalize out, uh, you know, maybe New England. And now we're playing in national leagues. You know, you've got... Uh, we play in the Girls Academy. You've got the ECNL. You've got MLS. There's multiple different leagues on the boys and girls side, and now they're more national platforms where they used to be more regionalized. Um, I think it's a good thing because you get to play different competition. You get to play, you know, you know, some really good clubs from different areas. But obviously, then the travel can become a little challenging. Right. 
How about you? Are you are you just as excited every day when you wake up and you're coaching and you're you're going to work? Are you just as excited about the game as you were, you know, uh, twenty years ago? Uh, yeah, well, going to work, I, I don't think that's a bit of a stretch. I, I say to you know me and all the staff, I don't think we really have a job. We're very fortunate that every day we get to work with kids and coach soccer. That's to me is not a job. Obviously, it comes with challenges, and you know you can travel a lot and you're out of the house a lot and the hours are a little off, you know, even as weekends, but I wouldn't trade it in. And I'm very fortunate if I look at my life from 15 to 41. <laughs> um, I've always been involved in soccer. That's been my job, whether it's been playing or coaching. And, you know, hopefully for the next 20, 30 years, I'll have the same thing. Uh, anything big coming up in the near future? Where, where, where does the club have going on over the next, uh, you know, few months here? Anything that sticks out? Any developments happening? So uh, college showcase we have coming up, I think, February, March. Uh, we do our, an internal one. Obviously, now with the new facility, we'll have all the local, uh, you know, Division One, Two, II, and Three schools come in from all over New England, and we do that for the, um, you know, the regional teams, for the GA teams and the DPL teams. And as far as events, um, the Girls Academy teams have the Girls Academy Champions League coming up in March, which is a big event with the top 16 clubs in the country at IMG in Florida. And then uh, the DPL just had their events in Florida down in um, Palm Beach Gardens, and that was a good event as well. So, you know, just prepping, getting ready for the, uh, you know, hopefully the winter. Obviously for us, typically it's more training, and then we have a couple of events away, and then getting ready for the spring. Yeah, the spring will be pretty busy, right? I mean, that's when it... Does it ramp up really right around, like, March? Is that kind of the... March. The go time. Yeah, typically events. Um, so like I said, the GA events in March. But then as far as the the more local teams, yeah. everything's March, April. Obviously, you know yourself, weather pending. The tournaments, a lot of tournaments in March. And then the season normally starts in April, right. um, which can be pretty you know rammed and congested trying to get everything in. But we're in a position where it's not like you can do much in January, February, March. <laughs> you're, you know, in New England, it's April through to June and you're trying to cram everything in. Um, so it's a hectic spring, right? And I wanted to ask too. I forgot forgot to get into this too. But you you had pretty extensive uh, coaching at the college level as well, right? You were on a few a few different staffs as an assistant, correct? I was more on the men's side. Um, very fortunate where, you know, when I was trying to find myself in the game, yeah. and I came here. I really love cl- club soccer, and that's my future, and it's what I've been doing for the last you know ten fifteen years. But when I was starting out, probably the first three or four years, I was interested in the college game. I did some stuff at Boston College with Ed Kelly, mm-hmm. who used to be at NEFC. Uh, you know, can't speak highly enough of Eddie. Uh, Alison Foley, when Alison was there, same thing on the girls' side. And then a uh, little more local to home, I live in Worcester, did some stuff at WPI in Clark. So, you know, kind of got my feet wet with that to see if I'd like it. I did like it, but really, I enjoy working with younger kids. Right. Um, I think for me, my passion's working with them, developing them, and trying to get them to the college the college game is so different, um, and you know it's just I, I did enjoy it, but I think my passion's more the youth side of it. I, I got to imagine though that kind of helped the transition over to the club game though, because you were kind of on the inside of those college programs. I mean, you can kind of get a feel for where these where these club players will be going next. So you've kind of gotten a taste of both worlds of what the college game is like, and then going back to the club game. It's good to see what they're looking for. Yeah, uh, obviously when I was at BC helping a lot on the girls' side, I think you see. You know how it works is kind of a jigsaw puzzle of what they're looking for, yeah. And then obviously seeing the level of players week in week out is helpful. 
and then you can give realistic expectations to the kids when you're when they're going through the process themselves. Um, it's always good to have a different perspective, have the college perspective, how how they're looking at things, and then obviously I have my perspective from an NFC standpoint, and then obviously the parents and the kids will have their own perspective. So seeing different sides of it helps you, and then obviously when you're trying to get them to where they want to get to, it gives you a clear picture of, of what's needed and maybe where they fit. Well, it definitely seems like NEFC is in good hands and in a good spot right now. I mean, you've got to be pretty proud of what uh, what you've kind of seen, how you've seen everything uh, transpire over the last uh, 14, 13, 15 years, whatever it's been. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's hard to, yeah, it's just, it's not me. I, I'm very fortunate that I got into NEFC uh, very early, and there's a lot of people. And like I said, I think the club, it's the same people that have been involved for a long period of time. And, uh, you know, everyone has a piece uh, and brought that club forward. And I'm lucky enough right now to be kind of leading the charge on the girls' side um, and, you know, really happy. And, you know, hopefully everything continues, uh, you know, onward and upward. Well, it was great catching up today, Nick, and I'm, uh, I'm glad you were able to join us in studio and uh, do this first podcast episode with us. I think it, I think it was great, and uh, uh, you were a, a tremendous guest for us today. All right. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate thanks a lot. It. Take care. Thanks to Nick Burke for joining the podcast and for being in studio. To keep up with all things New England soccer, visit anysoccerjournal.com. We update the site with new stories daily. Click the subscribe tab to get the newest magazine edition mailed to your home or office and follow us on Twitter at anysoccerjournal. Thanks again for listening. The New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast is a Siemens Media production. You've been listening to New England Soccer Journal's The Goal Podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to our podcast. Or visit anysoccerjournal.com forward slash podcast. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful.